In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, today the Federal Reserve concluded its two-day FOMC meeting, and it announced, surprise, surprise, that interest rates are not going up. But, of course, the statement was much more important than their actions, because these days it doesn't really matter what the Fed does. All that matters is what they say they're going to do, or more accurately, what they're going to pretend they're going to do. Because it really doesn't matter what they say, they're not going to do anything. You know, I explained that on my last podcast. I explained it again on CNBC Futures Now uh, to people who obviously still don't, don't get it. And I continue to use the analogy of Teddy Roosevelt, speak softly and carry a big stick, But if you have no stick, which is the situation for the Fed, then you have to speak loudly. And you're hoping that if you speak loud enough, nobody ever notices that you don't have a stick, which is why you're not using it. But you got to pretend that you've got this big stick and you're about to take it out, uh, but uh, just not yet. And again, that's what the Federal Reserve did uh, when they didn't raise rates, but released their somewhat hawkish, I guess, statement where they said that the near-term risk to the economic outlook have diminished, right? What does that mean? Well, we think the economy looks better, and therefore a rate hike might be appropriate, right? Because if the economy is looking better, then why are interest rates so low? The Fed said that the job market had strengthened, 
which it did for one month, right? We had one strong month. And again, it's a real low bar when it comes to strength. It just wasn't as bad as people thought. And that's only superficially. When you look beneath the surface, it's even worse. But according to the Fed, the job market strengthened and the economic the economy is expanding at a moderate rate. Well, if we have a strengthening job market and the economy is expanding moderately, why are interest rates still practically zero, right? They should be raised. The Fed mentioned that household spending is growing strongly. Well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe some households are going into debt and buying some stuff, but I don't really see that. I do think that some of the economic numbers recently have been better than expected. But again, the bar is set pretty low uh, in the expectation game. The Fed continued to say that they believe that the economy is evolving in a way that will warrant gradual rate hikes. I mean, and of course, by gradual, they mean no more rate hikes. Because, I mean, this pace, so they raised rates once in January, and uh, they haven't raised rates since. I mean, that's about as gradual as you can possibly get. I mean, if a snail was raising rates, they would have uh, blown past Janet Yellen. So this is clearly not just a gradual rate hiking cycle. I think, again, the rate hiking cycle ended when they raised rates. It began when they started talking about tapering. That was the whole rate cycle. And whether people want to admit it or not, we are now in the easing cycle. You know, and despite the uh, the better than expected economic data that's been coming out in general, we got some very, very weak news this morning. We got the number for June durable goods, and they were looking for a decline of 1.3%. We got a decline, but it was about triple. We got a 4% decline. And in fact, they took uh, the May number down from minus 2.2 to minus 2.8. Uh, year over year, uh, we're, we're, we're down a 6.4%. That's a huge decline. It's the biggest decline, I think, in two years. And if you look at the core capital goods, they were down again 3.7%. This is a massive streak. I think that we've now seen the year over year core number down for something like 17 months in a row or something like that. It is the longest losing streak in history when the U.S. economy was not in recession. Now, I believe that this streak will continue, and ultimately it will be the longest losing streak. It's actually 18 consecutive months, not 17. I think it's going to be the longest losing streak ever, even including recessions, which would mean that year-over-year core durable goods would have been weaker during this recovery than in any prior recession on record. So what does that tell you about the character of the so-called recovery if you produce data that is even worse than we get during a recession? But I want to circle back and talk a little bit about my CNBC appearance. I was not on, again, I wasn't on actual television. I was on the show Futures Now, which is just on the CNBC website. And I was there again, and they brought out Scott, Scott Nations. I mean, for some reason, every time I'm on, they think they got to bring out Scott Nations. I don't know why, but if I'm there, maybe he's on the show all the time. I don't know. I mean, I don't watch the show, really, unless, unless I'm on it, I guess. So I don't know. Maybe he's always there, or maybe they just bring him out when I'm there. I'm not, I'm not really sure. But, but he was there. And I was there yesterday. Asked, they had thought, well, what do you think the Fed's going to do? And I said, they're going to do nothing. 
of course. But, you know, all that matters is what they say. I mean, that's, that's what the market is going to react to. And, of course, the market did react. The initial reaction was the dollar strengthened a little bit and gold went down as soon as the more hawkish uh, statement was released. But it wasn't a big move. I mean, gold was up about six bucks before the statement. And then it sold off to maybe up about three bucks. I mean, not that big a deal. And the dollar index was up a little. It went up a little bit more. Uh, not much. And then after, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes of no follow through, the markets reversed. And gold prices soared. Gold was up better than $20, just over $20 on the session. Silver up about 75 cents, back above $20 an ounce. Big move up. And the dollar index was down about 40, back below 97 at 96.74. And bonds actually rallied and interest rates dropped on this supposedly hawkish statement. Uh, you saw the yields on the long bonds fall. Uh, not all the way back down to their lows uh, from uh, earlier in the month, but still uh, the bond market went down. So basically the markets are confirming what I've been saying, which is that the Fed is bluffing, that this, this talk about how the economy is strengthening and how a rate hike is coming at some point, the markets are still not buying it because despite that, the markets traded as if the Fed had basically taken a more dovish uh, position. But of course, had the Fed come out right and done that, had the Fed actually said, we're not raising rates or we're taking rate hikes off the table at least till the end of the year, uh, you know, we've got a neutral bias. If they had said that, the dollar would have tanked. I mean, gold would have just been up 20 bucks. It had been up more than 100 bucks, right? Because it would have been so obvious. But still, the fact that gold goes up uh, when the statement is supposedly hawkish. Now, I think even Goldman Sachs came out and said, well, because of this statement, September now is on the table, as if the Fed is actually going to raise rates in September with the an election coming in November. I mean, who thinks that's going to happen? I mean, I, I mean there's, there's about a, you know, like a snowball chance that, that that's going to happen. Uh, so obviously, if there's going to be a rate hike at all, it would be in December. But look, I really doubt that the Fed's going to be raising rates because I think the economy is going to be much weaker in the fourth quarter than it is in the second quarter right now. We're going to get the GDP number, the first look at the second quarter on Friday. Atlanta Fed is now expecting 2.3. I think they went down from 2.4 to 2.3 after they got that horrible, durable goods number. So we'll see what this number is. And of course, whatever it ends up being, they'll probably revise it down later. But look, if the Fed's not going to raise rates in September, which they're probably not going to do, uh, they're not going to raise rates in December. But back to this, uh, the CNBC. So I'm on there and I'm, I'm saying this stuff. And then they bring out, you know, their tack dog, Scott Nations, who immediately gets in my face. And it's almost like my last podcast. I mean, this guy, it's almost like he he listened to my podcast, but didn't even learn anything because he basically accused me of exactly what I said in that podcast people are accusing me of. He tried to say, Peter, you were wrong. You said the Fed couldn't raise rates, and they raised rates, so you're wrong. As if that one quarter point rate hike proves me wrong. When I had to tell Scott Nation, Scott, I was on your show all of 2015 saying the Fed wasn't going to hike rates at all. I was saying it in 2014 when all the other guests were talking about six, eight rate hikes, seven rate hikes, eight rate hikes. I mean, all these people, does he give them crap every time they come on and said, hey, you said the Fed would raise rates eight times. They only did it one time. So you're completely wrong. I basically said the same thing as I said on my, my last podcast. I said, Scott, 
I said the Fed wasn't going to raise rates at all. They raised them once. I was pretty damn close. Nobody was closer than me. I mean, if it was a game of horseshoes, I won. Everybody else was miles away. And I said on my last podcast, if it was the price is right, I still won because I was the only one that wasn't over. Everybody was over. I was the only one that came in under, right? I said zero and and they said one, but I was very close to the actual number. And again, I didn't say it was impossible that they would raise rates. What did I say? I said if they raised rates, the market would tank, right? And then they would have to reverse course and they would have egg on their face. They would lose credibility. And that is exactly what happened. Yet Scott Nations wants to pretend that the big drop in the market had nothing to do with the Fed's decision to raise rates in December. I mean, talk about denial. He's trying to blame it on China. Like, what happened in China in January? Nothing new happened in China that hadn't happened uh, any other month of that year or any other year. This was the biggest. The stock market was off to its worst start to the year ever in the history of the country. What could have possibly done that? Just something out of China? In order to get such a big decline, the only catalyst for such a massive decline was the increase in the interest rates. And then what Scott Nations was then saying is he said, well, Peter, you said if the Fed raised rates, the market would tank. And look, the Fed raised rates and the market's at new highs. I mean, again, how clueless can this guy be? I tried to say, Scott, the reason the market's at new highs is because after they raised rates, they stopped. See, what everybody else thought was going to happen is they would raise rates. and That would be the beginning of a tightening cycle, and they would keep raising rates. And had they done that, the market would be in the, in the toilet right now. The reason it stopped going down was because the Fed stopped talking about hiking rates and started postponing when they were going to hike rates. And that's the reason the market's at new highs. And by the way, it's barely up. It's not like, you know, the market is uh, way up. It's just slightly higher than it was before they raised rates. All the market did is recoup what it lost when it thought the Fed was going to keep raising rates, and then it gained it back. But had they been more aggressive, which everybody else thought they were going to do but me, then the market would have tanked. But, you know, he still can't even give me credit for that. And he wants to be, you know, condescending. All right, yo, so Peter Schiff, you know, you think you're more prescient than everybody else on CNBC. And, and then, of course, I say, well, look, you know, yeah, I am, but you know, it's 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 a really low bar, so it's not much of a compliment to tell me that I'm, you know, that uh, that I'm smarter than your other guests. But he doesn't want to even acknowledge it. He wants to say, "Well, I'm saying I'm getting it right." No, just admit it, right? Just admit that I was correct in my analysis. But he still can't do that. I mean, I don't know how much stuff I got to get right. And then to try to discredit me further, he talks about my my bond fund, my fixed income fund. I have one fund. I, I have five mutual funds. One of them is a global bond fund. And he points out that fund because that's the only fund, you know, that's you know, this year that's doing poorly. It's it's you know, it's not, you know, relative to the benchmark. And of course, it's done poorly relative to when it was first started. The reason my bond fund does so poor is I don't have any bonds. I have short term debt. I don't have any of the longer term debt. That's what's gone up. And it's a, it's a foreign bond fund that I don't have European bonds. I don't have Japanese bonds. That's where you have negative interest rates. That's where the governments are buying all these bonds and propping up the market. I don't want to touch that stuff. And so, yes, you know, during a bubble, if you don't participate in a the bubble, then you don't make the short-term profits. But you also avoid the ultimate long-term losses, which are coming. I just don't know when they're going to come. So my bond fund avoids bonds. What it's really for is to have an allocation to foreign cash, but still get interest. 
So I get interest because I have short-term uh, government bonds in Switzerland and New Zealand and Australia and Singapore and, and, and Norway or Canada, places like that. But I get some interest, but I don't, you know, I don't get the, the benefit of the appreciating bonds because I only I have short duration. But ultimately, the short duration is going to help me when the global bond bubble pops. But, you know, that's something that Scott Nations doesn't know anything about. I mean, he's still short term focused. He doesn't worry about that. He doesn't understand. He goes, How can you have a bond fund and not buy bonds? Well, that's because I'm a smart manager. You see, your typical bond fund manager cares too much about short term performance to give a damn about the absolute long term performance. I have no problem because I'm using this fund for my clients for a particular vehicle. And the last thing I want to do is encourage my clients to go out you know, long-term on the, the curve when it comes to bonds and buy, you know, these long-term government bonds and then have it blow up in their face. But of course, in order for Scott Nations to find that one fund that was doing poorly this year, I'm sure he saw all the other funds that are doing great and he didn't want to talk about those. Why doesn't he talk about my equity funds? Why don't he look at my, uh, my international value fund, which is the number one fund? It's beating all the funds in its category by a mile. I forget how much it is, 35 40% on the year. You know, the dividend payers fund is doing really, really well. The gold fund, even the emerging market fund. And, of course, my bond fund is still up on the year. I mean, it's up more than the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ. So it's just not doing as well as uh, the, the benchmarks because I don't have the, the risk of the benchmarks because I don't have the long-dated paper. And I'm not buying the paper where they're doing all the QE. But he had to ignore all my funds that are doing well to find the one that wasn't and then try to say, oh, this fund that's doing poorly proves that you don't know what you're doing. But if he's going to base performance on it, what, look at all the funds. So you know what? The performance is really good this year, so maybe you do know. No, he's just looking for any reason to discredit me. But, of course, if you watch the whole clip, you know, you can put you can see it there. I have it on uh, my YouTube channel. It's on my Facebook page. You know, the guy from that works at CNBC who did a write up on the interview. He did a pretty good job. Very fair article that CNBC wrote about the interview. Uh, so if you read that, I also put a link to that interview on my Facebook page. And by the way, if you're not uh, liking me on Facebook, which by the way, Facebook had some great earnings apparently uh, after the bell today. And so uh, that stock is doing really, really well. Uh, in contrast to Twitter, which got clobbered for, I think one of, I think the weakest, uh, uh, revenue growth in the history of the company. So that one was down today uh, about 14.5%. So Twitter down, Facebook uh, up. But if, you're, if you haven't uh, liked me on Facebook, go ahead and do that. I still have a lot more people who subscribe to my YouTube channel than who like me on Facebook. And Twitter, Twitter's bringing up the rear, by the way, since I mentioned Twitter. I'm not even at 80,000 Twitter followers. So maybe you could just tell you know, the stock performance just based on on that. Because, you know, I got a lot more people following me on Facebook than, than listening to my tweets. Now, for some reason, Donald Trump manages to get a, a lot of Twitter followers. Uh, so it's working for him. But obviously, for me, Facebook is doing a lot better. And so so is uh, the stock, which segues me now that I'm talking about uh, Donald Trump. Let me talk about the Democratic National Convention. Now, we've had we're about halfway through the convention. Hillary Clinton has now secured the nomination, right? All the troops are in line. They're all backing her. Bernie Sanders, uh, they felt the burn. They got burned. And, and now Hillary is, uh, is their candidate. And there's a couple more days left. And the way I would really describe the difference between the two conventions, and first of all, 
they the Democrats want to talk about how the Republicans, you know, they just painted this dark apocalyptic picture of America. They're talking about how America is broke and how the economy is all screwed up and things are bad. And the Democrats are saying that's wrong. Now, that's not wrong. In fact, I've said it's sugar-coated. It's actually worse than Trump thinks, or at least worse than he is publicly acknowledging. He may know that it's even worse than what he's saying, but he doesn't want to be you know, too, too, too outrageous in, in the gloom and doom department. But what the Democrats are saying is that you know, he's painting a very uh, dark picture. No, he's not. He's actually being truthful to the extent that we're in a lot of trouble, but he does have an optimistic message. His message is, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make America great again. Just elect me and everything is going to be great because we're going to be a great country again. We're going to produce wealth again. We're going to produce good paying jobs again. We're going to start manufacturing. We're going to start exporting. We're going to do all this great stuff that we used to do. And you just have to elect me and I'll get it done. So it's not a pessimistic message. It's basically saying that things are lousy now, but they're going to get better if you elect me. I'm promising to make everything better. He's not promising any kind of tough love or short-term pain. Because remember, he's not talking about taking away important entitlements. He's just saying that things are bad, but don't worry. There's light at the end of this tunnel, finally, because I'm going to end the tunnel because I, you know, I'm the light. But what the Democrats are saying is that Trump's dark view of America is wrong. right? Because what they're saying is the economy is great. Everything is fantastic. We're the greatest country ever. We've never been this great. Just look at the stock market. It's at all-time record highs. That proves that the economy is great. Now, what are the Democrats saying? Because, of course, obviously, the, the average guy is sitting there listening to the convention thinking, what is she talking about? Or what is he talking about? The economy sucks. I, 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 I could barely make ends meet with these two part-time jobs I'm juggling. And, I'm, you know, and I got all this credit card debt. And, you know, I, I got nothing, right? Everybody is hearing that. But what Hillary is saying to try to appeal to that voter is she's saying the economy is great. It's just rigged because all of the gains are going to the rich, right? The rich people, the greedy 1%, they're hogging all the riches for themselves. They're keeping all this money, right? It's not trickling down. So what the Democrats are saying is the economy is great. We just have to make it work for everyone, not just the 1%. And how are they going to do that? Well, we're just going to force your boss to pay you more, right? We're going to raise the minimum wage. We're going to have all these other benefits that we're going to force your boss to provide you with. And then we're going to raise taxes on these greedy rich people who are just so lucky and hogging all the money for themselves. We're going to raise taxes and we're going to spend it on the middle class and the poor with more money for education or health care or whatever it is they're going to spend. And so that is her strategy. Right. We're just going to redistribute all of this wealth to the more deserving people who vote for the Democrats. And we're going to take the wealth away from these rich, greedy billionaires and, and millionaires. Now, I don't know that that is a message that can necessarily trump the Trump message because his message is more believable. Trump isn't saying, look, I just want to you know, redistribute this pie. He wants to grow the pie. He's saying the reason that the economy is not working for the poor and the middle class is not because the rich are hogging all the money. It's because there's no real economic growth. We need economic growth. We can't just redistribute 
a shrinking pie. We need a bigger pie. And he is talking about how government is interfering with regulations and taxes or whether it's bad trade deals. He says he wants the country to be more productive, to generate more wealth for everybody, not to just redistribute the wealth from the top to the bottom. And the reality is, even if Clinton could redistribute all of the wealth from the rich to the poor, the middle class, it's not going to solve the problem. In fact, it's going to make the problem worse. You're going to kill the goose that lays the golden egg. You know, if you try to raise taxes too much on the incomes of the rich, the incomes of the rich aren't going to be there anymore. There'll be nothing to tax. Meanwhile, the activity that generates that income will, will, will be diminished also, which means there's less economic activity. There's fewer jobs. So I don't know if the Democrats attempt to appeal to the the middle class by saying, look, we're going to make your lives better just by stealing money from your boss and some rich guy and giving it to you versus Donald Trump's more optimistic, more hopeful message. He does have one. He's saying, yes, things are bad now, but they can be better. As opposed to the Democrats saying things are great now. We just have to steal from the winners and give to the losers because it's rigged. Right. And, you know, the other funny part about this is Donald Trump, one of the things he he hit Clinton on is the fact that if you vote for her, it's four more years of the Obama administration. And he represents change. And Hillary represents the status quo. He said she'll never change, right? Never, ever. Uh, and, and so a vote for Trump is a vote for real change. And a vote for Hillary is to continue the status quo. Now, Hillary Clinton is trying to change that narrative. And now she has assumed the moniker of the change maker. I don't know if you saw Bill Clinton's speech. This is the first time I heard this. And he had this like real Harlequin uh, romance uh, fairy tale story about his marriage to Hillary Clinton, which was complete nonsense. I mean, that might have been the most BS speech of the entire convention. But setting that aside, he was referring to his wife as the change maker, Hillary, the change maker. In fact, they were signs as he was talking. They had people holding up signs in the audience. Change maker, change maker. How is Hillary a change maker? I mean, the only way Hillary is ever going to make change is if she gets a job as a cashier. You know, but the thing is, she's probably not even qualified. She might not even be able to pass a security exam to be a cashier. I mean, would you want her as your cashier? Gosh, she'd, she'd rob the register blind. But this whole idea that she's a change maker. What is she going to change, right? I mean, I wish somebody would ask her, so you're going to change something. What? I mean, Obama's been president for eight years. What are you going to do differently from Obama? What about Obama's legacy don't you want to continue, right? What do you want to change? Because all she's talking about is taxing the rich and giving money to everybody else. Well, that's what Obama talked about. I mean, that was his whole campaign. Remember that video? There was a, a, a black woman who was so excited when President Obama won, she was like, this is great. I'm never going to have to worry about anything again. I'm not going to worry about my rent. I'm not going to worry about my utility bill. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to live on easy street because President Obama's president. That's what she actually believed. He actually sold her on that nonsense. Well, now it's eight years later, and I bet her utility bills and her rents and all, all are, those are even bigger problems now than they were eight years ago. And she probably has even more problems now that she didn't even have back then. But how is Hillary going to say, I love Obama, Obama was great, yet I'm the change maker? Well, if Obama was great, he's been there for eight years, why would you want to change something? And if there was something that needed change, why didn't Obama make the change? I mean, if it's all about just higher taxes on the rich, well, why didn't Obama get them? Or if it's about more government spending? Now, she might argue, well, 
It's the Congress that got in the way. Well, she's going to be dealing with the exact same Congress. So how's anything going to change? Nothing is going to change, right? It is, it is impossible, but she's trying to take this, uh, you know, this away because Trump calls her crooked Hillary. So now she's remaking herself as the change maker. And of course, obviously, they all got together because it wasn't a coincidence that Bill Clinton is calling her the change maker. And there's signs in the audience that just say change maker. Right? I mean, the, the only change on the ticket is the gender. Yes, she's a woman. Right. And that and, and look, I'm not going to diminish the fact that, yes, it is a significant thing. We you know, we've never had a woman uh, president. We've never even had a woman head a ticket. But of course, we would have had the same thing if Bernie Sanders. We've never had a Jew at the head of the ticket. Right. I think I think uh, uh, Barry Goldwater was half Jewish. Um, but we've been uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, is, is 100 percent. And, you know, we've never had that. Of course, we've never had a Jewish president. So that would have been a first, too. Uh, but now we've got the fact that she's a woman. So, yeah, that would be a change. But that's not a substantive change. That's I mean, changing the gender doesn't mean anything. What we're talking about is a, a change in the direction of the country, a change in leadership, a change in policies, a change in perspective. And none of that is going to change with Hillary Clinton. I wish somebody would ask her, yes, specifically, what are you going to change? What, you know, what are you going to do that President Obama didn't do right? for eight years? He was there for eight years. And you're telling me that he didn't he didn't make the change that he promised. How are you going to deliver where he failed? Where did he go wrong? She can't even talk about what he did wrong. She just wants to talk about how great things are. Right. Which is not going to resonate. This idea that everything is great and it's just that all the all, all the money is getting stuck at the top and not trickling down. Trump's message that everything is not great. It's not about there's not enough money trickling down. There's just not enough wealth being created. It's not about trickling down. It's about from the ground up. We need to produce real economic growth in the United States. And why don't we have real economic growth? Because of the government being too big, taxes being too high, regulations being too high. Now, Donald Trump might say it's because of trade. It's because of immigrants. I might disagree with that. But at least he's talking about what is undermining the real economy, what we need to do to unleash real economic growth. Because I think a lot of the middle class voters are going to realize that what is going to make their lives better is a stronger, more vibrant economy, not somebody who pretends that the economy is as strong as and vibrant as it's ever going to be. And the only difference is the rich, greedy people are hogging all the gains. And we just need Hillary Clinton to find a way to redo the tax code to force the billionaires and the millionaires to share their good fortune with everybody else. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? 
If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.